need to get the pre-warm-up sermons, amen. To, to get all the goody out of the night, you need to get all the rest of them. So stop by at one of those tables. I think there's some on the outside. If we ran out of them, just let us know and we'll get that for you. You can go back to our website in the archives and you can watch them and uh, catch yourself up. And I promise you, you will be glad you did. How many of y'all have learned a ton of stuff this week? Yeah, come on. Let's give God praise and glory. Come on. <clears throat> I don't want to take any of your time, but Rev, I love you, and I appreciate you coming, and uh, just share with us whatever God's got. Thank you, preacher. Well, it's a real blessing to be here tonight, and before we get into the message, I just want to thank you for the way that uh, you have loved on me in these days, and for just making me feel so welcome, and um, I just appreciate it with all of my heart. Uh, you've been so kind and so gracious, and uh, it means a lot to me. I certainly don't take it for granted. And uh, let me just encourage you to really appreciate and praise God for what he's doing at Temple. I've traveled all over the country. I've been preaching now. Soon will be 52 years. And uh, I've been in all kinds of churches, big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches. But this is a special place. And it's all because of God. And don't ever take it for granted. And it's wonderful right now. It is. It's wonderful. But I fully believe with all of my heart that the best is yet to come. And uh, I just uh, counted an honor to be here. Hebrews chapter 8 this evening. Hebrews chapter 8. Trust that you'll pray for me as we try to share with you God's precious word. We're going to read verse number 6 as a basis for the message. So we're going to be sharing many, many other verses with you tonight. And as I've said last night and Monday night, we're going somewhere. Yeah. And I want you to go with me. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell your neighbor it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. I believe it with all my heart. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a, say it with me, better covenant. It's going to get better. Which was established upon better promises. As you study the book of Hebrews, you need to remember that the key word is better. Hebrews is a book of better things. Jesus is better than Adam. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. I'm glad in Christ we have a better hope. In Christ we have better privileges. In Christ we have better blessings. In Christ we have better promises. In Christ we have a better home. In Christ we have better blood. In Christ, we have a better tabernacle. And in Christ, we have a better covenant. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. The Bible tells us that we have a better covenant. And when we study the new covenant, we find that the new covenant was given on a better premise. A better premise. If you look in chapter 8, verse number 7, the Bible says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then, no, then should no place have been sought for the second. 
for finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Here the Bible tells us that in Christ we have a better covenant. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a new covenant. You say, but preacher, I thought you said Last night, the first covenant was perfect. I thought you said last night, the first covenant was spiritual and the first covenant was good. It is. The first covenant was righteous. The first covenant was holy. And the first covenant was spiritual. And the first covenant was good. But here is the key factor. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible said what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law was weak in the flesh. That means the law plus us is weak. The law was made weak by our flesh. You see, the law pointed out our problems. The law pointed out our sin. The law established the fact that we need Christ. But the downside is the law couldn't make it better. The law would say, your, your thinking is not right, but it couldn't fix your mind. The law could say your seeing and your hearing is not right, but it could not fix our ears and it could not fix our eyes. The law would say your, your speaking is not right, but the law could not fix our lips or our tongue. The law could tell us our hands and our feet were not right, but the law could not help us to walk the way we ought to walk. And so even though the law was perfect, when you add me and you to the equation, then the law uh, is made weak. But that's where the new covenant comes in. And just in case anybody is wondering or questioning, are we in the new covenant? In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, I want to share a, a couple of verses of scripture with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and look in verse number 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Let me stop right here just for a second. The word testament comes from the Greek word, the athake. The Athake, and it means a covenant or an agreement. The word testament means covenant, not of the letter. The word letter comes from the Greek word gamma, and it is making reference to the Old Testament. If you did a study on the word gamma, you would find that it's referring to the sacred Old Testament writings. With that in mind, let's read it again. Who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament or the New Covenant, not of the letter or the Old Testament, but of the Spirit for the letter killeth. The law kills. The law brings death. But the spirit brings life. Uh, in verse number seven. But if the ministration of death. Written and engraven in stones. Just in case there's any question in anyone's mind. 
what the ministration of death was. It was the law engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. And if you look in verse number nine of Second Corinthians chapter three, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. You see, the law brought death, but I'm glad the new covenant brings righteousness. The law tells us what our problem is, but the new covenant fixes that problem. You see, the new covenant is given on a better premise. Uh, The Bible tells us, for if that which is done away is glorious, verse 11, much more that which remaineth is glorious, talking about the new covenant. So the new covenant is given on a better premise. And here's what the new covenant consists of. It's not about our performance. It's not about what we do. It's not about thou shalt and thou shalt not. If you look at the new covenant over and over and over and over, God said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You see, the new covenant is not about our conduct. The new covenant is not about our performance, but the new covenant is all about his performance. The new covenant is not about what we do for God, but the new covenant is all about what God has done for us. You see, it's all about Jesus from the very start until the very end and everything in between. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the pastor. It's about Jesus. It's all Jesus, 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 Jesus. The new covenant is given on a better premise. Number two, it's given in a better place. Look in chapter 8 and verse 10, if you will. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And the Bible said, and we talked about it last night, those who believe are the children of Abraham. And the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans that you and I have been grafted in. And I'm glad under the new covenant, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, There's one Lord, one spirit, and one baptism. And the Bible says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them upon their hearts. We have learned where did God write the old covenant or the old laws. He wrote them on tables of stone. But God said, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. And God said, this time, I'm not going to write it on tables of stone. But I'm going to write it on their hearts. What about that? God said, I'm going to write my law, my covenant on their hearts. I'm going to write my commandments on their hearts and in their minds. Do you know what that means? You take it with you everywhere you go. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter where you are. You take God's law and God's thoughts With you everywhere you go. Because God said, God said, I'm going to write it in their hearts. I'm going to write it in their hearts. By the way, that's where the problem is. In the heart. I don't mean to, to cheapen 
the fact that God wrote his law and put it in our hearts. But God said, I'm going to put the oil where the squeak is. I'm going to write it on their hearts, in their hearts. That's where the problem is. It's in their hearts. I remember years ago, it was back in the 80s. My family traveled all the time. We traveled about 48 to 49 weeks a year. And uh, they with me, and, and they went with me, and we sung, and uh, I preached in revival meetings, and that's back when revivals used to go from Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to Friday, and I was preaching meetings 48, 49 weeks a year. I was preaching in a camp meeting, and we had just bought a van for my family to travel in, and we pulled all of our equipment in the trailer behind the van. And my van had a TV in it. And the antenna was on, the, on top of the van. And so everybody knew that my van had a TV in it because they could see the antenna. And so that week in camp meeting, everybody that got up to preach had something to say about TV. I didn't even tell them. I didn't tell them that mine wasn't even hooked up. I didn't tell them. (laughs) But a young preacher came to me. And he said, preacher, do you really think that's where the problem is? Because it had been preached all week. The reason there's so much adultery is because of TV. And the reason there's so much violence is because of TV. And the reason homosexuals are rising up is because of TV. He said, do you, do you believe that's what the problem is? And I said, I don't want to be disrespectful to those who have preached. And I'm certainly not going to take up for Hollywood. I said, but back in Genesis chapter 6, before there was a TV, before there was an internet, every thought man had was on evil continuously. In Genesis chapter 6, they were marrying and given in marriage. And you come to Genesis chapter 19, God had to wipe out an entire region because of their sexual perverseness and homosexuality. That was before they had TV. That was long before smart TVs were even invented. That was back before they had satellite or or cable or Netflix. The problem is that man has a wicked heart. We've got a wicked heart. That's where the problem is. And God said, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. Our heart determines our character. As a man thinketh in his, so is he. Our heart determines our conduct. Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts and murders and so forth and murder. And, and, and God names a bunch of sins. They, they all come out of the heart. The heart determines our conversation. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so God said, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. You think about this. Jesus came to the coast of the Gadarenes. And there was a man possessed with the legion of devils. He lived in the graveyard. And the Bible said that he was naked. That means he was naked. 
he, he didn't wear clothes. As we would say back in North Carolina, he was naked as a jaybird. Do you know what most of us would have done if we had come up on the demoniac of Gadara and saw him wearing no clothes? We would have said, you go home. You put some clothes on and you come back and then we'll talk. That's what we would say. That's what religion would say. You go home, come back, dress decent. And then we'll talk. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus came upon him. He was naked and Jesus never even mentioned it. He never said a word about it. He never talked about it. Not one word did he say about this man being naked. But I'll tell you what Jesus did do. Jesus fixed the problem. The problem was not on the outside. The problem was not in that he was not wearing clothes. The problem was on the inside. And so Jesus fixed the inside and the outside took care of itself. God said, I'm going to write my law on their hearts and in their minds. So the new covenant's given on a better premise. It doesn't just point out the problem. It brings righteousness. The new covenant was given in a better place. God said, I'm going to write it on their hearts and in their minds. Thirdly, it's given with better promises. Look in chapter 8 and verse number 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established Upon better promises. And then again in verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. What was the better promises? The old covenant said you're unrighteous. You're unrighteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The old covenant said uh, the whole world is guilty before God. The old covenant said you deserve to die. But the new covenant says I am going to be merciful to their unrighteousness. God said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show mercy. I'm going to have mercy on their unrighteousness. Uh, God's going to be merciful on their unrighteousness. The Bible says, the Bible says that all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. The word unclean is making reference to a leper. Leprosy was sort of an exterior uh, cancer. It ate away, first of all, at the fingers and the toes and then it would eat away at the nose and the ears uh, and eventually it would destroy the entire body and bring death. Uh, those who had leprosy were pronounced and declared unclean and they had to dwell in leper colonies and if they should get out of the colony and they see somebody down the road they were to cry with a loud voice unclean, unclean and the lepers would wrap their infected areas with the rags and over a period of time those rags would be saturated with infected Pus. And so they would put all the rags in a big pile and they would burn those rags. And the Bible said, you look at that pile of leper rags, all saturated with pus and filled with infection. Look at those leprous rags. God said our righteousness. That's not talking about our sin. That's not talking about us at our worst. That's talking about us at our best. God said our, our righteousness in his eyes are no more 
than that pile of rags. Oh, listen, friend. I didn't need justice. If I had gotten justice, I'd be in hell right now. If you had received justice, the last one of us would be in hell right now. But aren't you glad this evening the hottest fire we'll ever feel is the fire that's burning down on the inside. I heard about a man that went to church and the preacher got up and preached on hell and the entire time that man sat on the front row and he shouted and shouted and the hotter the preacher preached it, the more he shouted. After the service was over, the preacher walked up to him and said, Mister, he said, in all my years of preaching, I've had people to shout while I talked about heaven and the street of gold and I've had people shout while I talked about the new body but he said I've never had anybody shout while I was talking about those burning forever and ever and ever in the regions of the damned. He said I've got to ask you uh, uh, why were you shouting? What were you shouting about? Uh, And the man looked at him uh, and he said preacher he said you got to talking about how awful hell's going to be and you got to talking about how hot hell's going to be and you got to talking about how long hell is going to be. He said I couldn't help but shout. I had to rejoice because thank God I ain't going to hell. I ain't going to hell. God said that our righteousness are as that pile of lepers rags but God said I'm going to have mercy. On your unrighteousness. <laughs> we deserved to go to hell, but He gave us mercy. We have better promises. Number four, we have a better priest, we have a better high priest under the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The Bible says that Christ has become our high priest under the new covenant. We have a better priest. I want you to listen carefully. Christ is our priest after a better order. Look back in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11. Hebrews 7, 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, For under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Verse 12. For the priesthood being changed there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Verse 17. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law 
made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. The Bible teaches us that Christ was not a priest after the Levitical system. Christ was a priest not after the order of Aaron, but he was the priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, you can read the law, and the law uh, ordained and taught that the priest were to come from the tribe of Levi. Yet Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. The word Judah means praise. The presence of Jesus did not come through the lineage of Levi, the lineage of do's and don'ts, but Jesus came through the channel of praise. He came through the tribe of Judah and was not a priest after the order of Aaron or Levi, but he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? Well, in chapter 7, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews takes us back to Genesis chapter 14. If you'll study Genesis chapter 14 sometime, you'll find that King Chedorlaomer and three other kings had come together to form one mighty confederation. And this great army marched against Sodom and Gomorrah and took all of the people as prisoners and, and robbed them and stole all the treasures that they had. At that time, Lot was in Sodom. And so when Chedorlaomer and his confederation took the people of Sodom and Gomorrah as captives, that included Lot's, or Abraham's nephew, Lot. And so Abraham gets his bunch of servants together and shepherds together and he pursues this mighty confederation, overthrows them and regains the people that had been taken captive and regained all the treasures that they had stolen. And the king of Sodom Offered to give Abraham treasures and gold and silver. And Abraham said, I can't take it. If I accept it, then everybody is going to say the king of Sodom made me rich. And so Abraham refused to take the gift. And now he's, he's headed home. And the Bible tells us that he meets a man by the name of Melchizedek. What about Melchizedek? The Bible tells us that he was the king of Salem in verse 2. The word Salem means peace. And so he's the king of peace. In verse 2, we also find that he's the king of righteousness. And not only was he king, but he was a priest. And in verse 3 of chapter 7, Hebrews, the Bible says that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest 
continually. And when Abraham met Melchizedek, the Bible tells us that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we learn that even Levi, the priesthood, also paid tithes to Melchizedek. How was that possible? Abraham met Melchizedek before Levi was ever born. But Levi was in Abraham's loins. And so when Abraham paid tithes, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, that Levi also paid tithes. Now stay with me. The Bible says that Abraham paid tithes. And even Levi paid tithes. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the Bible tells us in verse 8 that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before the law was ever given as a testimony that he lives. Now let me just stop right here. And you're going to have to stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. I believe Melchizedek was a Christophany. It was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. He was without father, without end of days. The Bible says that he was a high priest forever. He had no father, no mother. He was a priest forever nor end of life. It was a Christophany. And he blessed Abraham. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now stay with me. It's going to get better. That's why Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized. Jesus went to John to be baptized. You say, but preacher, who was John? He was the son of Zacharias. Well, who was Zacharias? He was the son of Abiah or Abba. If you go back and study 1 Chronicles chapter 24, the Bible talks about Abiah. He was a descendant of Levi. He was in the eighth order of the priesthood. There were different orders of the priesthood. And periodically, Men would be chosen from each order to serve in the tabernacle and in the temple. And Zacharias was the son of Abiah who was a descendant of Levi. Abiah was a priest. And in the Old Testament, the priesthood was handed down to the sons. Zacharias was a priest. And according to the Levitical system, the priesthood was handed down to John. For John was not just the son of Zacharias who was a priest. As a matter of fact, Zacharias had been chosen to minister in the temple when Gabriel came and said, you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. He was ministering in the temple as a priest. So John was not just John the Baptist. 
He was John the priest in that he was the son of Zacharias. Oh, by the way, Zacharias was the son of Abiah, and Abiah was a priest in the eighth order. Eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. So, when John baptized Jesus, there was a transition of the priesthood. John, who represented the Levitical priesthood. As a matter of fact, John was the last priest of the Levitical system. He was the last one. You say, preacher, what about Caiaphas and all the other priests? They were bought and paid for by the Roman government. John was the last. And the reason John was the last priest is because he was the last one that would ever be needed. There would be no need for another priest because the priesthood is being transferred from the Levitical system to the Melchizedekian system. And it was passed from Levi to Melchizedek who was a priest forever without beginning, without ending. This transfer of the priesthood was based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Watch this, watch this. Jesus went to John, asked John to baptize him. And John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. You see, John was the cousin of Jesus, and he knew there was something special about Jesus. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Now, those who believe and preach, that means you must be baptized to go to heaven, don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. What does that mean? Jesus walked into the Jordan River. The Jordan River was the dirtiest and filthiest region in the area. It represented human depravity. It emptied into the Dead Sea. You remember when Elisha told Naaman to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan? Naaman was furious. And he said, there's all kinds of rivers in this area. And every one of them are cleaner than the Jordan. He told me to go dip in that dirty river, Jordan, and that's where Jesus was baptized, in the Jordan River. He tasted death for every man. What is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins. He's in the Jordan River. The gospel is how that Christ died for our sins and was buried. And was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And when he came up, he said, I'm he that liveth and was dead, but I'm now alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell on my side. That's when the priesthood transferred from the Levitical system to the Melchizedekian lineage because Jesus was a priest forever and to him there was no end of life when was this 
transfer. When did it take place? When Jesus was brought up out of that river. He was raised from the dead. He was alive forevermore. The transfer was made at his baptism based on the gospel. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But it's going to get better. It's going to get better. In the new covenant, we not only have a better priesthood in its order, but it's a better priesthood in its offering. In Hebrews chapter 10, I hope I can say this like I feel it. In verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law is never going to make the comers perfect because the law is just a shadow. By the way, for those who feel the need to be under the law, you know, when I get home, I'm looking forward to seeing my wife. And when my wife walks across the floor, I can see her shadow. But why would I want to embrace her shadow when I can embrace the real thing? And so... There's a lot of people still chasing shadows. But we can have the real thing. The Bible says in verse 3, Hebrews chapter 10, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible, in the Greek that means not possible, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Talked about it Sunday morning. We were not lost by a goat or a bull. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And if you look down in verse number 10, by the which we, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Under the new covenant, there is a better offering. Jesus didn't come with a lamb or a goat or a bullock, but he came with his own body. And he came with his own blood as an offering for sin. Again, that's why Jesus went to John the Baptist. God had told John the Baptist, the one you see the Spirit descend upon, that's him. That's him. And John said, I would not even know that it was him except he that sent me told me the one you see the Spirit descend on, that's him. By the way, the priesthood was transferred from Levi to Melchizedek when Jesus was baptized. And so the Holy Spirit of God came upon Jesus to anoint him at his baptism. For Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was not just priest. Melchizedek was not just a priest, but he was a king. And in the Old Testament economy, Both the priest and the king had to be anointed. 
That's why Jesus never preached a sermon until after he was anointed. That's why he never performed a miracle until after he was anointed. He went out into the wilderness for 40 days, came back to the synagogue, stood up and read Isaiah 61, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me. So when John baptized Jesus, he was anointed as priest and king. Watch this. It was the priest that had to inspect the sacrifice and make sure that the sacrifice was worthy. The priest had to examine the sacrifice to make sure there were no spots and no blemishes, no, no scurvies, no injuries. The priest had to inspect it to make sure that it was perfect. That's why when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven to John. Because John was the last priest. Are you getting this? And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God himself told John he's qualified. He's worthy. And so the next day, John saw Jesus coming. The very next day, John witnessed the Holy Spirit anointing him. He heard the Father speak from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So as the son of Zacharias, as the grandson of Abiah, John stood and said, Behold the Lamb. He could have said, Behold the door or Behold the vine, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, he had to say, Behold the Lamb. I saw the Spirit of God come upon him. I saw the Father. I heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son. Behold the Lamb which taketh away the sins of the world. He said that as the last priest. By the way, I told you there would not be a need for any more. There would be no more sacrifices. No more blood shed after Jesus. As a matter of fact, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. While Caiaphas was written his own garment, God was tearing the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom. <laughs> he came with a better offering. He came with his own body and his own blood. And thank God. The new covenant brings a better outcome. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 11 and 12, the Bible said, And the priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, same sacrifices which can never take away sin. The priest standeth daily ministering and offering, offering the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. The priest stood daily, every day. He was standing, always standing, always standing, always ministering, always offering the same sacrifices. And no matter how many he offered, they could never take away sins. Notice the Bible said the priest stood. How many of you see that? The priest standeth daily. You got that? He standeth daily. I tell you what you do. You go back home tonight and you study the tabernacle. When you walk through 
the opening, the hanging in the outer court, and the first thing you come to is the brazen altar and the laver, blood and water. I told you the other day, there's always a presence of blood and water when new life is being given. And then you go into the tabernacle sanctuary and there is the table of showbread. There is the lampstand. And then there is the altar of incense in a little room that is 30 by 15. And then you'll come to a veil, a thick veil. And only the high priest could go beyond that veil, and he could only do so once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when you go in that veil, there you're going to see the Ark of the Covenant made from Achaic wood and overlaid with pure gold. And on top, Of the ark, there is the mercy seat. And two cherubims have been beaten out of gold facing each other. And God said, I will dwell with thee between the cherubims on the mercy seat. An angel here and an angel here. And God said, I'm going to meet you in the middle. By the way, when Mary went to the sepulcher and she looked in, what did she see? She saw an angel here and an angel here and God said, I'll meet with you in the middle. God had already come because Jesus was already gone. (laughs) Hallelujah. But you study the tabernacle. There's no chair. There's no chair. There's not one place for the high priest to sit down. Because his work was never done. He stood daily. He stood daily ministering, offering the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But listen carefully. The high priest stood daily. He stood daily. But in verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10, but this man, Jesus, this man, After he had offered one sacrifice for sins. Did something that no high priest had ever done. He sat down. Because the work was done. It was done forever. No more sacrifices, no more blood. He offered his own blood once and for all. And he sat down on the right hand of God. I am saying the new covenant offers a better outcome. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 and I'm done. Thank you for listening. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Well, let's look at verse 23. I'm sorry. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. This man, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the man. He's the man. You want to know who the man is? Jesus. 
There's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the man. The Bible says that this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore, he's able to save to the uttermost. You know how I interpreted that for many, many, many years, and I'm done, I promise, I'm, I'm through. I'd always interpreted that to mean the vilest of the vile, to the uttermost. I'd interpreted that to mean to the guttermost, so to speak. The most wicked of the wicked. The filthiest of the very filthy. He's able to save them to the uttermost. And I'm glad that's true. He can save the most wicked and vile sinner that has ever lived. But that's not what it means. The word uttermost comes from the Greek word Pantiles. Pantiles. And here's what it means. It means fully, completely, and forever. When God saved you, he didn't just halfway do it. When God saved you, he saved you completely. You are completely saved. Completely saved. It means fully. And it means forever. God is able to save them to the uttermost. That means you're as saved as you can get. Back home, we might say it like this. I'm so saved it's pitiful. I'm saved to the uttermost. I'm saved fully. I'm saved completely. And I am saved forever. I'd rather say tonight as you stand with me, I'd rather say I'm saved than to say I'm wealthy. I'd rather say I'm saved than to say I'm powerful. I'd rather say I'm saved than I'm famous. I'm saved. I'm saved to the uttermost. I was preaching in southern Alabama years ago. And there was a man that came to the services literally strapped in the wheelchair. And one night he wanted to meet me. And so his wife rolled him down to the front. And she said, this is my husband, and he's been wanting to meet you. He couldn't shake hands. He was literally strapped in the wheelchair. And I knelt down by his side, and I was thanking him for coming. And immediately, he started weeping. And he was saying, Do, I take, Do, I And I had no idea what he was saying. And his wife saw that we were not communicating. And so she told me that he had had several strokes and had left him mostly paralyzed. But she would get him up, get him ready, strap him in the wheelchair because he could not sit up by himself and bring him to church. It had also impaired his speech. And I'm sitting there kneeling down by the wheelchair and he's weeping uncontrollably saying, Do ate, do ate. And his wife said, Brother Edwards, he's saying, Glory, I'm saved. Amen. Glory, I'm saved. 
because of the new covenant. I want everybody, raise your hands right now and say it with me. Glory, I'm saved. As a matter of fact, I can't be more saved than I am right now. I am as good for heaven as if I was already there. I can't say I'm wealthy. I can't say I'm famous. I can't even say I'm always right. I can't say I never let him down. I can't say that I don't fail him, but i tell you what I can say. I can say, glory, I'm saved. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved because God made a new covenant through his darling son, Jesus. God bless you, Brother Malcolm. Hallelujah. Listen, now I want them to sing a verse of invitation because there's no doubt in my mind. In a number, if you got to go, you go. That's fine. But I don't want to miss out on the fact that everybody in this room couldn't say that. And God may have been dealing with you all night. And I'm not going to drag it out. They're going to sing a verse. If nobody comes, we'll dismiss. But there's no way in this world that we're going to hear a message like that and not give somebody a chance to get saved. All right? So there's people at this altar with Bibles in their hands. If you couldn't shout and raise your hands and say, Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. Well, come get saved. We can take a Bible and show you how to be saved. Up in that balcony, there's people. Now, there's folks in that balcony needs to get saved. And there's people there that can help you. People there all the way across. Let's take a minute. Sing. If it's just one verse and nobody moves, we'll, 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 we'll dismiss. But sing something. This is your chance. Is there something This is your, your chance. Is God speaking to you right now? Don't worry. You say, preach, I'll be embarrassed. Listen, I wouldn't go to hell for nobody. I don't care what nobody thinks. If God is speaking to you, you come. You come. Just step out right where you are. You come. If somebody needs to come with you, they'll come with you. But don't don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. If you're in the balcony and God's dealing with you, you come. Come on. Yeah, bless him, Lord. Take all your problems, your sins, and bring it to the cross. Yes. Yes. God speaking to you. Come. Come on. Maybe you just need to come tell God how thankful you are that you're saved and you can't help it. That God has dealt with you. Yeah, give me praise. Give him praise. Yes, Lord bless him. Bless him, Lord.